Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit forgedeatery.com. to the truth in this art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today we journey into the world of abstract art with an artist who draws from extensive travels, um, the cultural richness from those travels and bringing it to this Baltimore level creativity. Um, Harvard educated and inspired by Bengali Indian heritage, this artist's work is a fusion of nature, spirituality, and healing, a true bridge between East and West, tradition and modernity. Uh, get ready to be transported into the world of artistic wonder. Please welcome Pothic Chatterjee. Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Yeah, we go right into it. Um, <laughs> thank you for making the time to join us here on this podcast, um, The Truth and Start. So for starters, um, I think there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of power and in, in juice, if you will, and folks introducing themselves. Um, there have been times where, you know, you get a get a sense of how someone views you and what your work is or how they introduce you. So I think it's a lot more spice and energy with how we introduce ourselves. So if I want to give you the space to introduce yourselves to our listeners. Thank you, Rob. My name is Pothik Chatterjee, and I am a queer South Asian artist that works in the medium of abstract art of acrylics on canvas. And I live in Baltimore. I grew up all around the world, but I've been living in Baltimore for the last five years. And I call this wonderful city my home. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I've seen you around. You're, you're, you're in the scene. I'm, I'm, uh, as I went back over and looked at sort of the bio and I was like, it just keeps going. 
it just keeps going. It's it's so many great like factoids in there. So I'm really privileged to be able to chat with you today. Thank you. I've heard so much about you and follow your podcast. And many of my favorite artists in Baltimore have been profiled here. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. That's, that's very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'd like to start off with some of the sort of origin story stuff. Um, we all have those those different moments um, that pop up earlier in our lives. And sometimes I'll say there have been guests and that, that have been on this podcast and they think back to like, when was the first time I looked at art or experienced or appreciated art or even doing something cre creatively? So, you know, thinking back to your childhood, um, could you share something that like pops up, you know, from an early um, experience in your life that um, relates to art or creativity? Yeah, absolutely. So it does go back to my childhood. I was born in India in a city called Kolkata, which is where my family comes from in the northeastern part of India. Um, however, I never lived in India. So my dad was already working in Dubai as a computer programmer. And he married my mom and they raised me in Dubai for the first seven years of my life. And then we moved to Paris, France, uh, where I lived there for four years during middle school. Then we moved to Abu Dhabi, so back to the United Arab Emirates. And then finally, Jakarta, Indonesia, which is where I graduated high school from. And then I came to Washington, D.C. for college. So I had this amazing experience of growing up in all these different countries and continents. And I would have to say it was in Paris that my love for art really blossomed and I became really passionate and fascinated by art. So I was extremely privileged uh, to be, uh, you know, seven, eight years old in Paris. And my mom took me to all the best art museums like the Louvre and some of the smaller museums like L'Orangerie and the Rodin Museum and the Musée d'Orsay which I actually liked a lot more because you can have more intimate experiences. And I just remember the water lilies by Monet covering an entire room was so awesome for me. And I just fell in love with impressionist art from that early age. Wow. I mean, like I haven't, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I haven't had any, I haven't had any travel. Like what do you, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, being able to have those, those experiences and, you know, being able to say, I've been here, I've enjoyed this, this piece here. And, you know, I, I would imagine, you know, traveling broadly and living in various cultures with their, you know, various communities with their, their different cultures and that may be impacting you. Is there, you know, a moment that, that comes back, you know, again, you know, growing up that you're like, yeah, that was something right there that, you know, it may have popped up in your work. It may have shown up in your work, whether it is sort of the choice of color in a certain place. Um, I know I've talked with folks um, and, and definitely, you know, I've, I'm just curious at this juncture, but I've talked to folks who were like, hey, you know, I spent time in, you know, um, South Florida and this choice of color pops up in my work because of my time living down there. Yeah, definitely. So. I would say the culture and country that influenced my art and shows up a lot in the inspiration and colors and kind of stories that I tell in my art would have to be, I guess, a combination of India and Indonesia. So even though I never grew up in India, every summer I would go visit my grandparents and my uncles and my aunts and my cousins 
for three months over the summer. And sometimes we would go home for the Christmas holidays as well. And my family is extremely close. And that was a way for me to stay connected with my language and my religion, which is Hinduism and my, my culture, right? Um, so that definitely influenced my art because I grew up drawing pictures and paintings of gods and goddesses. Yeah. So in Hinduism, we have literally thousands of gods and goddesses that represent different versions of the same kind of holy energy that exists in the universe. So artistically, it's an amazing thing to be a little Indian child and going to a temple and seeing statues of goddesses that are in gold and just decorated really, really beautifully and celebrating female power and the matriarchy. So that's something that really inspired me from a young age. And it shows up in my art because I use a lot of gold accents and gold foil-like method. A lot of the names and inspiration for my paintings are actually the names of goddesses uh, from Hinduism or concepts from Hinduism and Buddhism, like reincarnation, the concept of Maya, that our physical world is actually an illusion. And there's a deeper spiritual world that is behind our physical world. So I derive a lot of inspiration and um, I try to tell those stories in a more modern American abstract way, because that's a reflection of my identity and who I am. Um, I would say the second country would be Indonesia, because Indonesia is just a fascinating, incredible country that is such a mixture of cultures, including Indian culture through Hinduism and Buddhism, but also Islam through Arabs that were trading in Indonesia, um, as well as Chinese and Japanese culture. So it is really a melting pot and it's an archipelago of hundreds of islands. So it's a very diverse country in itself. And, um, you know, I was at a pretty impressionable age when we moved to Jakarta. I was in 10th grade, so I was about 15 years old. And I was feeling a little confused about my identity because I was Indian, but I never lived in India. I went to international schools and American schools growing up. I was also in the closet as a gay teenager in a culture for my family that's pretty conservative and pretty traditional. So that would not really have been acceptable for me to come out um, at that time. Now, I did end up coming out to my family 10 years later, but that was quite a journey. So I was grappling with a lot of those questions about my identity and my belonging when we moved to Jakarta. Um, so what I found solace in was kind of reconnecting with my Indian culture through Indonesia. So a lot of, a lot of people don't know this, but the, the island of Bali, which has become a huge kind of tourist attraction, is a fully Hindu island in a Muslim nation. So when the Indian uh, traders went to Indonesia, they actually, some of them stayed behind in Bali. So what you see is this beautiful fusion of Indian and Indonesian culture in the temples, in the rituals, um, the way they're connected to nature and the ocean. So I kind of reconnected with my Indian culture through my time in Indonesia. And I am still, you know, to this day, I collect, um, sculptures from Bali, masks from Bali. I just think it's such a beautiful place that continues to inspire me, even though the last time I went there was 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That adds a lot of um, 
a lot of texture. I, I'm sitting here and it, it makes me think um, recently, and I'm, I'm looking at this little thing I have had mints in from uh, the Detroit Institute of the Arts. And um, I was able to check out the, uh, I, I know there was a wing that had like Asian art. And I just remember my partner and I was just sitting there just like observing like all the Indian art. And it's like, wow, wow, this is, this is amazing. And just really being into that and feeling something it's hokey as that might sound, but feeling something. And I think, you know, in that uh, museum, we, we went there to check out this exhibit of, um, it's like 30, it was a curation of 32,000 photos taken by this African um, photographer, you know, over the course of like him moving from, I uh, forget which part of Africa, but moving from Africa to London and to the US and all of this, that was a good portion of it. But the other half of our stay, because we were there so long, was sort of the this Asian wing that we were in. And we were just like, just absorbing. It, it, it's just something about it, just being being around it. Yeah, I think that Indian art is, I mean, first of all, there's so much diversity within India, there's, I think, 52 different languages in the country and so many different ways of expressing art and practicing the religions. Uh, there's so many different religions in India itself. Um, what I really love about Indian art is kind of, like you said, you feel it, that strong emotional quality. Yeah. Um, and some, I think it comes through the colors, I think it comes through the mythology of the gods and goddesses and their stories and how they're very human-like, almost like Greek mythology or Roman mythology, right? They get jealous, they they lie, they do things that are not always proper, but there's always kind of a story and a moral to it. Um, so I think there's, I've always been fascinated by uh, all types of Indian art. Um, and I was very lucky that, you know, I grew up in an environment where that art was really celebrated and not just visual art, but also music and poetry. So all types of art and culture was really, really celebrated. And I was taught to be really proud of my Indian heritage. Um, and I feel like that has given me some foundation, even though I moved around so much in my life, it gave me something to come back to. It's wonderful. So I want to, I want to ask about like, I'm curious to find out about this sort of this point where, or pinpoint, if you will, of a specific moment when you knew that art is in the the making portion of it, the sort of artist lifestyle, um, because you don't really turn it off. I, I noticed that's the thing. It's not like, all right, art, light switch on, light switch off, back to the paperwork. You know, when was that, that moment for you where it maybe shifted from an endeavor to something that was going to be more of a focus of yours and more of an interest for yours, uh, for you. Um, you know, I, I kind of arrived at doing this. I'd already been podcasting for 10 years and it, it was fun. It was something I spent a lot of time doing, but sort of doing it in this way and even shifting in how I looked at it as, you know, this is documentary, this is uh, journalism, this is archived, all of these different things. Looking at it from that standpoint, I didn't arrive to that point until probably a year, maybe two years ago. And it was after some really interesting interviews. And so I just want to get your take on that of when it comes to your process and practice. Yeah, you know, for me, it was a really, um, I can point to a really clear before and after moment. And that was the start of the pandemic. So I mentioned that I used to do a lot of drawing and art as a child, and I continued that all the way into 
high school and I took one studio art class at Georgetown that was really, really wonderful and kind of helped me reconnect with art. But then after I graduated from undergrad, I stopped doing art for 20 years from 2001 till 2020. Uh, and the reason is because I was focusing on building my career in economics and business. And part of that was also my immigrant childhood, where I was really encouraged to pursue safe financial pathways that will ensure success and happiness. But part of that happiness from living a really full life means staying connected with that creativity. But I had, I had actually shut it off for 20 years until March or April 2020 when the pandemic first hit. And I decided that I needed to reconnect with this childhood hobby uh, because I was working in healthcare at the time at Sinai Hospital in Baltimore. And every day we were dealing with COVID and people dying and so much illness and so much is so much inequity as well in our society about how the pandemic was affecting uh, people of color that are brown and black or or Asian and or Hispanic. And I really turned to art because I wanted to create something because there was so much destruction and death and sadness in the world. Um, and it wasn't like I immediately started painting the way that I do now, right? I had to kind of reacquaint myself with the technical skills that I'd actually lost because I stopped doing art. Um, but that instinct was always there. So I found free classes online through Facebook and Instagram. And I, I found two really great teachers. One was through Princeton University Arts Council, and her name is Barbara DiLorenzo. And she's actually a children's illustrator. And she also teaches these classes online through Zoom. And, you know, I wasn't sure how effective this would be, right? Like the in-person experience versus learning how to draw and paint on Zoom. But it was the only option I had at the time because we were in a pandemic bubble. And it turned out to be actually really effective. And I just needed that kind of charge, that kind of spark to get back into art. And then sure enough, I was doing a lot of painting and learning on my own. I found a second teacher uh, in New York City named Lital Gold, who is originally from Israel. And she taught me this really fascinating concept called intuitive painting, which it means that let's say you're drawing or painting a bouquet of flowers in a vase, you don't necessarily have to use the same colors that are like the yellow and a daisy or red and a rose or the color of the vase. You can look at the way the light is interacting with the flowers and the vase, and more importantly, your emotions, right? Like, what emotions are the flowers emitting? What emotions are they evoking in me as the artist? And so I was just fascinated by the way Latal was able to kind of show me these creative ways of capturing reality in an artistic way. And that, that really helped me connect with my intuition. I was able to you know, use my meditation and my yoga practice to intuit, like, what does the canvas want to say? It's, it's, so it's kind of, that really helped push me into abstract art. So it's not just about literal representation, it's about feelings and emotions and telling a story through colors and light and composition.
Um, and so that's kind of what started me off during the pandemic. And um, it hasn't stopped since then. Thank you. Wow. I mean, the it, it, I couldn't help but think of the is is from the Austin Kleon books, right? The whole phantom limb thing when you're you have something creative and you're like, I'm gonna leave it here because I too had the I, I wanted to be a comic artist, and I said that on this podcast before, but um, got to a point in in high school where it's just like, nah, you should look at the, look at business. You should do that. Get a degree in that area because that's safer. And um, and it was fine, but I still had this sort of wanting this almost this emptiness of I want to do something creative, like you know. And I think I, I don't use what the the polymath thing. I, I, I I'm a fake polymath, I guess. There's a lot of things I'm interested in creatively, and um, this happens to be the one that stuck for so long. And but I think really it's been there. It's been there the whole time. Um, you know, I mentioned this a long time ago on this podcast because uh, someone in theater, um, Paige Hernandez, helped me realize this. You know, it's like when I was a kid, maybe five or six. And um, recently I was in front of a group of people having to speak. So it's funny I'll mention this, that five or six, I was an MC for like a, um, some sort of event at school where singing and all of this. And I'm like looking at that now as a 38 year old man. I'm like, I'm terrified of that. <laughs> but then always sort of this presenter, this person that looks at things from a different way and having conversations with folks of like, hey, I'm curious, tell me more about this. Those things have always been there. And it's been a means to try to harness it into something that has a shape and something that has meaning behind it. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that, right? Like part of... Part of my art is about connecting with my childhood and healing because I had I had to kind of suppress a lot of those artistic impulses um, because there was so much pressure to be a boy in a certain way. And I was the first son and the only son. And so I feel like there's all these very playful um creative energies from my childhood that I kind of had to put on hold, uh, but they were always in there. And I'm so happy that I found an outlet to, to be able to express them and to connect with other people through that expression. So, so, so as we're, we're kind of like talking around sort of, you know, the, the ideas that go into it, let's, let's talk about process a little bit. Um, because I, I like to, you know, I don't like to do the tell me about your process, which feels so weird and stilted, but really, you know, what is something that's within your process early on? And like, when do you know, because I know painters, uh, when do you know that you're kind of finished painting? No one's ever done <laughs> that whole thing. But when do you know, like, all right, I'm not going to put the brush, pick the brush back up. I'm not going to continue. <laughs> yeah, I, I think about this question a lot, actually. Um, I would say my process is very meditative and spiritual. So I'll actually meditate before I start painting. I'll light some incense and do a prayer, like a Hindu prayer, in my art studio before I start um, the act of like picking up my uh, brushes and starting to paint. So I like to get into that really peaceful, serene mood. Um, because art for me is about healing and art for me is about um, devotion in a way, right? 
Um, so I like to get in that really zen space of mind before I paint. And then in terms of process, I would say I love to work in layers. Um, so it takes me weeks to complete a painting, typically about four to five weeks. Um, but I'm very, very productive. Like I love, um, you know, experimenting and trying new things and constantly pushing myself and kind of reinventing myself as well. Um, but I love to work in layers. So typically I'll start off, you know, with a gray kind of layer to cover, and then I'll add a lot of contrasting colors to create texture. And then at some point it becomes about editing, like taking a step back from the canvas and saying, okay, like what are some interesting aspects of the composition that I could bring out? What should I edit down versus edit up? Um, and that's when kind of the story of the painting starts to emerge for me. And I start to find a lot of inspiration from nature. So from landscapes, from organic beings like butterflies and flowers, um, the, the sun, the reflection of the sun on water, clouds, things like that. Um, that's when I start to like discover those elements within the canvas and a story starts to emerge. Um, and then typically at the end is when I'll apply the gold foil effect to kind of accentuate the magic of a certain part of the canvas and how the light is playing with the canvas. And that's when I typically know that I'm done with the painting. And then I would say the other way that I know for sure that a painting is done is when for me, it feels like it's really organic. Like it was always there. It has a living energy or quality to it. And it's not like I or anyone like painted it. It's almost like it's part of nature and it's almost like a living thing in itself. Wow. That's dope. I had, had my had my thing on mute because I was typing something and always editing. Um, but thank you. Um, so I, I want to get this because you're you you mentioned the you know abstract painting, right? So definitely this this might be a, this might be a hot take. You know, some people think this is a hot take. Um, I, abstract painting is like in a world of its own, in a lane of its own. In your eyes, um, what makes an abstract painting like like pop? that make it click. Um, I had to change the wording because initially it was, what makes it good? Because someone asked me that. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not qualified to ask, answer that. But from from your vantage point, what, what makes it like resonate? What makes abstract painting resonate? Yeah, I love that question. I think there's so many things about abstract art that um, make it my favorite medium to, to look at and to paint as well. I think one is, number one is emotion, right? Like, does it inspire something in me as the viewer that makes me feel a strong depth of emotion? And it doesn't always have to be like happy emotions, like um, beauty, like admiration of beauty or romance or, um, you know, joy, calm. It can also be sadness. It can be grief. It can be... Um, like an aversion to something, like a strong reaction. And sometimes the emotions can be almost hard to name, right? Like they occupy such a mysterious area. And when abstract art through the colors, composition, texture, um, and layers and the detail, when they elicit those strong emotions in me, that's when I know that this is something really powerful and beautiful. 
And I wanted to mention that the Baltimore Museum of Art did this amazing show about Joan Mitchell and her abstract art. I think it was last year in 2022. And I was simply blown away. Like, number one, she's a female painter. When we think about abstract expressionism from the 1960s and 1970s, we think about Jackson Pollock and a lot of male artists that were like Willem de Kooning um, that were really leading the charge. But it's so wonderful that in Baltimore, we were able to see Joan Mitchell's work. And I mean, the size of the canvases were just majestic and monumental. Um, but I would say it was really like that depth of color and the incredible energy behind the brush strokes and yeah. the physical vitality of it. You know, sometimes people think painting is really relaxing and you just go to your studio and it's almost like going to the spa. Yes, like it can be like that. And sometimes it, it can feel like that, but it's also incredibly physical. Like your back can start to hurt if you're painting on the floor, for example. So I learned it's really important to get an easel and, you know, think about your physical well-being while you're painting. But it can be taxing and there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that abstract artists put into their work. And hopefully, you know, that comes through in the intensity of the emotion. So I would say, you know, that's really what makes abstract art so meaningful. And I would say the other part is that it is so open to interpretation, right? A painting can mean one thing to me, but it can mean something completely different to you. Like you might pick up on some aspect of it that completely went over my head um, or I just had a blind side to it that I didn't catch. And so I think when abstract art can kind of create that dialogue between people who come from different perspectives and get them to talk about something deeper, that's also really successful abstract art. Wow. That's, that's great. Cause it's, I think that's very true about, and, and maybe because this is like top of mind, cause it's, we're come we're a few days removed from it, but you know, I, I was, I, I, this is the part of the year where film festivals and stuff happen and folks will reach out. Hey Rob, can you do this? Sure. Why not? And I, I always look back and I'm like, what do you think of my film? I'm like, Oh, sure. And I realize I view, review uh, films very critically you know that for that next level and here yeah tell me more tell me more about you what you think and i was like i don't know what to do with that but i like engaging in the conversation and the dialogue and i think that that hits various mediums um you know even with something like like this this is a conversation really but let alone with the fine arts with that realm so let's see um i got a couple more real questions um and then i got those rapid fire questions. I call them the fake questions sometimes. Uh, so let's see, um, talk, talk to me a bit about any challenges that you encounter. Now, granted, I, I know that you'd, you'd mentioned earlier kind of re-engaging, you know, back in 2020 and kind of like diving back in. And that's obviously just, let's just, just 19 to 2021. Let's just skip that year. You know what I mean? But right. what sort of challenges come up for you in, in being an artist here? Yeah, um, so many challenges and so many opportunities. Um, you know, the first challenge was the imposter syndrome because I did not go to art school and I hadn't really practiced art for two decades. And so I had to kind of build that self-esteem and confidence in myself. And my teacher certainly gave me a lot of positive encouragement and validation, but for me, 
the ultimate validation um, at that point in time was to be featured in a gallery, right? Like to be able to walk in to a real art gallery and see my paintings up on the wall was really a lifelong dream that I had. And it came true in Baltimore, which I think is amazing because Baltimore is such an artistically talented city. I think it's incredibly cutting edge with our diversity of our artists. So I'm really, really happy that my gallery debut happened in Baltimore. And it was really nerve wracking for me that first day when I went into Highland Town Gallery in Baltimore and met the owner, Felicia Zanino Baker, really through cold calling her. Like I emailed her some uh, photos of my paintings and I asked her, would you be open to meeting with me and checking out my art in real life? And she was very gracious and she said yes. And I remember that first meeting, my heart was pounding so hard because I was so worried about rejection um, and not making, like not being at the level of a gallery artist. And fortunately she said, your work is beautiful. And I think you would be wonderful in this gallery, but I don't have room for you for another nine months. So I was a little disappointed because I thought she was going to say, you know, you're the next Leonardo da Vinci or something. And, or uh, Basquiat, and I want you in next month. But I stayed positive, um, and I thought, well, at least I got a yes, right, even if it's in nine months. And I continued to send her photos of my work. Um, my first painting that was actually hung up on a wall was at the um, LifeBridge Health Center for um, the Survivors of Domestic Abuse and Violence. Um, Adam Rosenberg, it's called the Center for Hope. So Adam Rosenberg is the executive director there and they built this beautiful new building where they provide care and education and support for women and children who are survivors of violence and trauma. And they did a call for artists from Baltimore to donate their art pieces. And I donated this beautiful painting called Shavasana Glimmer that kind of started my style in art as well of kind of ocean turquoise colors, gold accents, and that feeling that you get from Shavasana after a really intense yoga class of relief and relaxation and connecting with something spiritual. So I let the gallery know that my painting was selected and is living in the Center for Hope. And um, she actually gave me an opportunity earlier to show my work in a pop-up show, which got sold out. I was so excited. And then I was featured in the holiday show in December of 2022, last year. Yeah. Um, so it was really like a quick kind of accelerated journey from selling my first painting to family and friends to being shown in the gallery, having a sold out collection. Um, and then I was invited to show my work in New York City, which I think is, you know, the mecca of modern art and abstract art. So that was a dream that I didn't even know I had. I mean, I knew I had it, but I never thought that it would happen so fast for me. Yeah. Um, so that was an amazing experience. And the show is still going on. It's at a gallery called Maison 10 in Chelsea in Manhattan. Uh, and they feature 10 artists from all over the world. And it's an LGBTQ owned gallery. And they donate 10% of the profits to charities in New York. So I just love the gallery. I love their mission. And I'm so happy that my New York debut happened there. Thank you. It's great. 
That is great. Um, and it's funny, you you kind of you, you cheated a little bit there. You kind of gave me the answer for my last question. So I have one that's before it that's going to be a weird way to close um, on the real part. But I, I think it kind of connects to sort of the um, the emotions around one's work and around being a being an artist. Um, and, and I find it's the sort of waxing and waning that I experience, but I want to get your take on balancing like ego insecurities. It's, it's like a dance. Like, how do you balance this? How do you manage sort of, you know, the ups and downs when it comes to like, I'm the greatest thing ever to the, eh, I might not be good anymore um, when it comes to your creative life. Yeah. I love that question because on one hand, I feel like, the beauty of art is that it gives us an opportunity to kind of go beyond your ego and connect with something for me that is really spiritual and universal and can connect with humanity like on a on a deeper level but on the other hand the business of art and the kind of day-to-day -day realities of being um like a business owner and dealing with clients and commissions and galleries and thinking about how you compare with other artists and how you price your work and how you value your work. There's a lot of ego involved naturally. Um, and to a degree that can be healthy because it can motivate you. And I certainly have benefited from having a business background and that discipline when it comes to marketing and branding and being an entrepreneur and being a hustler and not getting disappointed or discouraged by rejection and continuing to believe in my talent and my ability to connect with with the audience. Um, but I'll tell you, like being a small business owner and kind of the realities and the challenges can keep your ego in check in a really healthy way, too. Um, and what I've learned is that it's kind of a beautiful balance between art for your sake and commerce. And it's about finding that balance and being really open uh, to customer feedback and incorporating that into work because ultimately they're gonna own the piece. So you wanna make sure that they feel a connection to the painting as well. So it's been really interesting about how the ego pops up and how to keep it in check and how to stay balanced. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm hearing it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be chatting after this interview about that, because I, I think that's a, a piece that a lot of folks can just, you know, take an account of is I, I run into the sort of admin stuff, as I call it, and the stuff not related to doing the interview. This is the fun part. This is the non-practice part. But a lot of the stuff leading up to it, it's just like, I don't, and I, and I would imagine a lot of artists encounter this, or a lot of creative folks encounter this. I don't want sort of my feelings around the unsavory portions of this, the fat and the gristle of it, get in the way of sort of the the really good part, the the, the prime cuts of the the whole experience. Yeah, and I think the big thing is patience and learning to savor the journey and savor the process. If you can do that, then you're golden because then you don't get too attached to the outcomes. You get to really enjoy the process of making art, like you said. One hundred percent. And, and, and that's actually where we'll wrap on the sort of real part of the pod. And um, now we'll move into what I like to call the best part of the pod, because I like to see people squirm. I like to watch you artist type sweat. Because uh, <laughs> uh, you never know what I want to say. Um, 
So this is the rapid fire portion. And, um, you know, don't overthink these answers. It's like, what's right there? It might change. It might have been something different in the past, might be something different in the future. So here is the first one. What, if anything, do you listen to in the studio when you're working? Oh, I listen to ambient house music As and you classical Indian music on the sitar. As you should. As you should. That is, see, <laughs> I'm glad I brought this question back in because I used to use this podcast. This is, I'm nothing more than a hustler. I use these interview questions to steal from other artists. It's like, okay, tell me more about what you listen to. And it is on my playlist. <laughs> um, what is what is a, a go-to snack? Again, this is me stealing. A go-to snack or, or a meal that, you, you know, you that it fuels you. Like, it doesn't have to... It may be comfort food, if you will. It's like you've had something very emotionally draining. You're like, I need something good. Doesn't have to be healthy. I just need something good that's going to give me that back. Oh, not to be stereotypically Indian, but butter chicken and rice makes me feel really comforted and makes me feel like I'm at home with my parents. And that was a go-to for a while for me. So I think I might have to dive back into butter chicken. I love butter chicken. Um, <laughs> I, I I will see. Uh, I, I, I've, I, in the past, I've had panic attacks and stuff, right? And I remember um, one point, my partner who has a name, I'll share it with you after, after we finish recording, but has a name that's very apt, right? And she goes into one of the um, one of the restaurants here and comes back. And this is the first time I actually had Indian food. So I've always used that. It's like, no, that's my medicine. Bring that over. I always connect those things. Ooh. Something goes weird. It's like, chicken biryani, please. Thank you. Please, oh, that makes me so happy because I absolutely love biryani and I love Indian food. And, you know, healthy food can be medicine, right? Yes. I mean, I was like, I was like, there's a lot of cinnamon. There's cloves in here. I mean, I'm. There's a lot of, yeah, spices with powers to keep you uh, healthy and like keep the cold away and things like that. Yeah. So as we're recording this in, um, and I'm definitely dating it, we're recording this in August. Um, describe a perfect late summer evening in Baltimore. Oh, a perfect late summer evening for me is walking with my dog, Lily. Uh, she's our golden doodle puppy in Marshy Point, which is a park about a five minute drive away from where I live in Middle River. Yeah. And watching the sunset and the colors of the sunset on the surface of the water and there's beautiful birds flying by, like herons, um, and just kind of taking it all in and then putting it on the canvas later. Capturing the magic hour. That was the question I was writing, the magic hour. And I was like, it's going to come up somehow. I know it's going to come up. <laughs> so so this is the last one um, I got for you. And you've lived in multiple, multiple places and have multiple experiences. So um, as a person who enjoys traveling, I'm able to take this podcast on the road and go in different communities and stuff. What is the first thing that you do when you visit a new place? Let's say you're settled, but like, what's the first thing you're looking for? Me, I I'm looking for the neighborhood. I'm like, cause I know it's going to, the food's going to be popping and everything's <laughs> going to be great. You know, that's just what it is. It's just like, this is wonderful. Um, or I'm looking for coffee. It's like a couple of different things that I'm looking for. So for you, what, what is the first thing that you're looking for once you're settled, once you're checked in and all? Definitely coffee and some kind of local snack. Um, like if I go to Europe, you know, I'll try to find a bakery, like a patisserie or boulangerie, where I can try the baked goods and a cup of coffee or a cappuccino in Italy. 
Uh, but if it's, you know, a, a different culture, a different continent, kind of finding out the favorite snacks of the locals, I think is really fun because then you get to overhear so many interesting conversations. If you, even if I don't understand the language, I can pick up so much just from observation and it gives me a feel like a feeling for um, the neighborhood and what's quirky about it and what makes it stand out. That, that is, that's great. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. I got all my questions out. Thank you for indulging me. Uh, rabbit fire wasn't that bad. Uh, so one, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. And two, I want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners where they can check out your work, social media, website, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed our conversation. So your audience can check out my art in a couple of places on my website, pothikchatterjee.com, on Instagram, pothikc, and in real life, you can go to Highland Town Gallery in Baltimore, or you can go to Maison 10 in New York City for now. Well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Pothi Chatterjee for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, and community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Bye.